Welcome to the Sports Grab Podcast, where we empower you with the answers to your burning questions to accelerate your career into the sports industry. We are your hosts, Melbourne-based sports administrators, Ruben Williams and Ryan Walker. Join us as we share unique and personal examples as well as relatable information and deliver them to you in bite-sized, fluff-free episodes. Want to swipe our signature framework to add awesome experience to your resume? Download our free ebook, Four Steps to Create Outstanding Work Experience in Sport, at sportsgrad.com.au. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our latest episodes released every Tuesday and Thursday. Ryan, my favorite thing about the world game is that it is loved by men and women everywhere. The other thing I love that is perfect for men and women all over the world is the Dollar Shave Club executive razor accompanied by a tube of Dr. Carver's shave butter. If you want to look and feel great, sports grad listeners can head to the link in our show notes to access the Dollar Shave Club starter box for just $15 plus get $10 off your second delivery. Inside, you will find a range of top shelf grooming products perfect for both men and women. So head to the show notes for more details and take advantage of that terrific offer. Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. Today, we're talking about the topic of how one volunteer position can launch your career in sport. I'm joined, as per usual, by the Prince of Hawthorne East, Reuben Williams. Reuben, how are you going today? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. Uh, the Prince of Hawthorne East, I'm not too sure about that. Does that make you the uh, the uh, the King of Jan Juck? I think that makes sense, mate. I was, I was thinking about an... A, an objective to sort of name you today and I was like look that sort of just came to mind and I thought I'd, I'd go against the usual but the Prince of Hawthorne East I think fits quite well um, and I can be the king of Janja that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Mate uh, we've got a fantastic guest on today in Carlo Kasparian who's the general manager of digital marketing and content at Football Federation Australia. Carlo graduated from Western Sydney University with a Bachelor of Business and Marketing and has a vast experience in account manager and business development roles at companies such as Magnify Marketing, Leafcutter Creative, and most recently, Football Federation Australia. He is a creative and strategic marketer with a passion for storytelling while playing his role in the beautiful game. Carlo, welcome to the SportsGrade podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Carlo, Ryan mentioned that you do have a passion for storytelling. I've been loving a lot of the content that you guys have been putting out recently when there hasn't been too much live sport being played, but you guys have just been thrown back to some of the great Socceroos highlights. The um, the John Aloisi one at Sydney Football Stadium in 2005 I've seen has been getting uh, plenty of replays. Some of the content that's, that you guys have been pushing out has been uh, awesome to watch. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, the... Uh historical momentous uh 05 qualifier against the uruguay um it's it's been really really good i think it's great to actually be you know when you have a team of um passionate football fans as well so first and foremost you know we're working in football but we're also football fans so it's a really good opportunity when you have a bit of a clear window to then go and explore some of these great moments and you know bring them to life thinking you know back then there wasn't social media as predominantly there is now so you get a chance to be a little bit more creative so it's not just here's the um here's a full match replay it's let's kind of make it a little bit more engaging but it's, it's been great it's been great kind of being able to dig through the video library and the archives and find all these um almost forgotten moments 
I think that that right there, the John Aloisi uh, goal in the penalty shootout is one of the greatest uh, sporting moments in Australian history. Carlo, you, you've always been passionate about football. Can you tell us what sparked uh, that passion and, and where that came from? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think it's that same old story that a lot of people kind of grew up with football. It's, you know, you grew up in a football family. Um, my dad's a big uh, football fan, brothers, uncles, a lot of relatives and people you grew up in your circles. You know, football is really, um, I guess, the, the dominant sport in our household. It really helps, you know, when, you're, when your old man's a big Liverpool fan. Um, you know, you so you get to kind of get exposure to a lot of European football at an early early age. So it really just came from my old man, to be honest. And then you kind of, you know, when you grow up with your mates, you play football, you live and breathe it. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably the start of it. That's where it all kind of started, and it just kind of built up over time. So Carla, we know you've made it in the world of sports digital, but you haven't always. You've always been a marketer first. What made you transition from being a traditional marketer marketer into the sports industry? So early on, you know, just working, I guess, um, in just very marketing roles, I guess it, it really kind of transitioned firstly from going from traditional marketing roles into digital marketing roles. Um, a lot, I was fortunate enough that a lot of the roles that I had early on um, with, I guess, kind of digital really starting to pick up momentum. Um, so this is, wow, going way back. So this is like 2006 onwards. During those periods, a lot of the companies I work for, you know, they'd look at you as the, I guess, the youngest member of the team to kind of start looking and exploring this, these avenues. And then you start getting exposure to digital. You start looking at marketing and a lot of that as a whole. So you start looking at through the line, you're above the line, below the line, you know, all your traditional and your digital kind of coming together as one. And then just over time, you start coming up across different roles and opportunities. And it was really when I started getting into agency side that, I started to really push towards the digital side, starting to see, you know, this is where our industry is headed. It's good to kind of get that exposure. So before I kind of jumped into the sports side, uh, firstly, I made that transition into digital and then um, started to build up different experiences along the way. Sports was, was re- it wasn't really necessarily sports in particular. It was actually um, wanting to work in football. And that kind of came early, really early when I was um, on my last year at uni that I wanted to I guess, pursue or start working towards um, getting a career in football. And it wasn't until many years later that that would happen. You've got a vast experience working within agencies, as you mentioned, in, in a variety of roles. How have you found that that experience has really helped you in your current role? Immensely. It's really, really interesting because kind of looking back now, in hindsight, every single role that you that I did Obviously, you know, it helps you get the experience to land the next role. But um, a lot of the agency roles that you, that I had, it gives you that opportunity to be at the forefront. So if you're an agency and you've got a client, then you need to be the, the one that's kind of driving that. So you have to be, you know, working with a lot of the publishers and, you know, a lot of the different sort of, um, you know, tech providers to understand, you know, what's, what the, where the industry is headed, working with industry leaders and then be able to kind of relay that back to your clients. So the experience of working in an agency side, how I helped with this role was looking at, you know, understanding stakeholder needs, um, future-proofing and understanding where, you know, industries and and sectors are kind of heading so that you could then make those decisions, strategic decisions. Um, But I think where it really, really helps is because football's got a really complex stakeholder group. You know, you've got clubs, you've got member federations, you have your inter- internal stakeholders, 
So when you're working in an agency and you have a portfolio of clients and each client's needs are different, that really helps in being able to kind of step into a role like this and being able to understand all the different stakeholder needs and and know how to be able to then problem solve and help bring, particularly when you're working towards a single solution that then needs to fit different, you know, member feds, clubs, they all have different kind of objectives and goals. And you need to kind of know how do you bring a lot of these groups together to then deliver a single objective. So it helps immensely being a um, being agency side. Do you think one of the common questions that sort of comes up sometimes is it's really important to get agency side and client side experience? And do you think getting agency side is almost integral to be able to be the best you possibly can on the client side as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I started off uh, client side, so I started working in-house um, it wasn't until probably about my, probably the third or fourth role that I jumped agency side. Having the exposure to both gives you a very different perspective. When you're in-house, your client side, you're, you're pretty much the one central point where a lot of the vendors kind of service you. When you're agency side, everything really works towards a very different objective. It's, it's very commercial driven, yet you're also trying to deliver the best work. You're also competing against other vendors who are knocking at the door. The different sort of dynamic, I guess, um, settings just gives you more of an understanding. It just makes you f- a bit more well-rounded um, in just those different roles and understanding the different dynamics. It also gives you empathy. So, you know, being in-house, you understand the challenges that, you know, an in-house team has, you know, who they report to, what they're accountable for. And then when your agency side, you also have, then you start getting empathy for, you know, your vendors and understanding, you know, they also, everybody in the end of the day has to kind of deliver and have objectives and KPIs to meet. So you understand all the different challenges that people have. So it's really important, particularly from, you know, wanting to build empathy. It makes you a far better, um, I guess, just makes you a far better member of the team. When you're in London, you, you manage to volunteer with the Chelsea Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about what the Chelsea Foundation does and, and how you're able to get involved? Yeah, so every... Most clubs have a you know, a charity arm, so they've got a foundation. So before I went over to, before we moved over, you get your visa, you got to wait for your visa application to come through. So I went on the, I think it was the T2 Youth Mobility Visa. So every Australian gets gets that visa. You get your, um, you're applicable to receive it up to like up to a certain age as a cutoff. You get two years to then go work in um in London. Um, while we we're waiting for that, um there was a, a job ad that I saw for the Manchester United Foundation. I'm a United fan. So that's why I was also growing up, interesting growing up in a household where, you know, your old man and your brother are Liverpool fans and you're a United fan. So, yeah, there were many, many yeah, screen fests, I'll tell you now. Um, but so when I applied for that job, I mean, you know, I obviously didn't get that role. I realized, okay, every club has, I started to look into it and I was like, oh, every club's got a, a, you know, a charity. I'm so got a foundation and do a lot of, a lot of charitable work on behalf of the club. They use the club's sort of footprint to be able to kind of do community outreach programs and it, and it ranges. It could be anything, fundraising for specific causes. It could be, you know, football clinics, um, for at risk kids, you know, in, in, um, you know, high risk, um, neighborhoods. Um, and I had a, a bit of not for profit you know, experience, you know, working again, uh, I've worked for, you know, for companies that are pure charities, but they're not for profits. 
you know, their associations. And then I've worked in agencies where some of the clients were not for profits. So the way that, you know, working for Chil- that Chelsea Fellowship came about was when I got there, I landed some marketing contracts. Um, and uh, it was a bit hard to kind of, you know, you apply for a job, <laughs> you know, you're applying for a job with Chelsea or Arsenal, you know, you're aiming high, but you most likely these jobs would have already been advertised internally. And you're realizing, yeah, by the time it's advertised, it's probably too late. So, you know, while I was doing some contracts, I re- I knew that every foundation or every not-for-profit, I knew how to find the contact details and I knew how to find the phone numbers for the specific people. Like, it's not like, say, a company where they really keep it closed off, um, you know, for foundation is far different. It's a little bit more receptive, a bit more open. So, I I said, well... If, I, if I'm not going to get land the role one way, that's obviously not working. I've got to try something else. So I had to change the, change the approach. So I said, if every club has a charity and has a foundation, why don't I just go and volunteer for the foundation? And that's a foot in the door. So I contacted the person who was um, heading, up that, heading up the Chelsea Foundation, called them up, and I introduced myself. How did you find that person? Um. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not scientific whatsoever. Most most charities list their key staff on their website. You just you just need to go. And I don't know if they still do. Uh, back then, um, you just need to find that section on the website, and then if the number's not there, you could do a little bit of a deep dive into you know the email, and then you can start kind of guess having the business development background, just, you just know where to start looking. And that one's just an easy one. It's just dig, dig, dig into the website. It's there. If it's not there now, just call up, say, now please speak to this person or just offer, you know, your services that you want to volunteer. Um, and no one's going to say no to, um, you know, free labor. So when I spoke to, spoke to him, um, I explained, you know, I wanted to, I just wanted to volunteer and he said, what would you like to, I mean, is, is there anything specific you wanted to do? I said, no, um, I was really open and transparent. I just said, look, I want to get my foot in the door. I will do anything, you know, whatever it is that you need. I'm here and I explained to him my situation. I just want to, you know, I just want to experience working in football in whatever shape, way, shape or form. He said, come to Stamford Bridge, the, um, Wow, I gotta remember this one. The the foundation was in the back of Stanford Bridge. He goes, the office is there. Come and let's sit down and have a conversation. So I went. I met him. He goes, not a problem. He said, um, we're gonna go down. There's an outreach. Uh, there's a they, they take their coaches to a lot of the football clinics into outreach programs. He said, come to Wandsworth down towards Wimbledon. He has come on this night. He has then come and meet the coaches. So that one there was a big indication of we'd love you love for you to. Um, you know, be a part of, but you got to, it's a, it's got to be a good cultural fit. You got to meet the coaches if they like you and so forth. So I went down and I started seeing what they actually do out in the community. I met the, the young coaches who are all kind of doing their licenses. Um, great group of people. And um, after that, he said, look, you know, everyone met you. We liked you. We think, you know, it'd be great to kind of get you to kind of help us out. Um, and then it was a rigorous, uh, process after that because you have to get a police background check to work with kids um it wasn't like just you know sign this you're an intern or sign this you're a volunteer it was a very very different process the police background check had to come through had to get it from back home had to get it here uh, in london as well 
Um, and then you had to kind of sign the NDA. You had to sign the contract that you're part of the Chelsea staff, even though you're a volunteer. There was also, you know, um, code of conduct and uh, rules and behavioral rules, the way you have to kind of conduct yourself. Everything. It was quite a lot of documents that you had to kind of go through and read. And you realize, actually, this is this is a, you know, that was the first kind of experience in how a club at that level operates. And that was the foundation. And once we started, it was just routine. So I could work my contracts. I could work my, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday job. And then um, two nights a week, I would go down to, um, down to wherever the clinic was, um, which ended up being close to Clapham Junction and just helping the coaches um, run footballing clinics. And it was, yeah, it was probably, it was, it was a great, great exposure to, you know, to football, to at that community level. Um, but it was really an eye-opener. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> the the rose-colored glasses of, yeah, it's going to be football and I'm going to go do this. It, it, it was very real and raw. Like the kids that they were running those programs for, they were at-risk kids. You know, they weren't just, you know, here's a school kid and it's a clinic. These were kids who, you know, these clinics were done to keep them off the streets. So, you know, going and working for the foundation, um, I didn't know what to expect. I knew that, you know, I, you have to respect the role that you're going into. You know, I was 29 years old. I wasn't a kid. So I kind of went in there with a little bit more maturity. But the moment when I met the coaches for the first time and they, they said, okay, you're going to be a volunteer, it took us seriously. If there were days that I couldn't go because I was, I had, I had a full-time job and, you know, you're, the day ends up, you have to stay back at work, you know, you'd call them and you'd let them know and say, I'm sorry, and, and you'd make it up to them and so forth. Like I had, the mo- I had the most utmost respect because this person just listened to my story and said, yep, and, he, and I came in and I showed that I want to volunteer and I worked and he gave me the opportunity. So, you know, it was, it was, it was awesome. It was amazing. Carla, how did you then make sure that you were able to leverage that volunteer position into other opportunities for yourself? The tra- I think the transparency, having those conversations up front and then, you know, the person who, who was leading it up and I just said, look, this is what I would like to do. Um, then that just kind of helped, you know, when you're kind of honest with the people that you're working with and you're kind of, you're upfront, you're telling them from the beginning that these are your intentions, these are your motivators and drivers, then at least that way it's, it's a bit of, you know, you're kind of advertising yourself. Um, but you're just, they just know. And then, you know, you know what to expect from one another. Um, the, the first thing that I did was just respect, you know, I, the, the volunteer role came first. So that's how I was able to kind of leverage the opportunity because I did that role and I did it well. Everything that they gave me was an indication of, okay, if there is another opportunity that comes up, maybe we speak to this, maybe we speak to Carlo or maybe we'll speak to the person we can, because we can see that they're hard workers and they're, they're trustworthy. So leveraging the opportunity is just actually taking the role and doing it to the best of your ability because that speaks volumes to people who are watching, you know, people who can see is like this person if something comes up and then slowly, slowly, you know, I knew that with, you know, I didn't have any sports background experience. Um, I knew that just listening and watching and if they, if they hadn't, cause there was, you're part of their email comms. So the way that I wanted to really leverage it was I just wanted to listen to it. If anybody had a story to tell, if anybody had any, 
you know, if they were doing working on something specific, I just asked them, what are you doing? And I'd learn. And I learned so much, you know, in terms of, you know, how grassroots football works at, you know, from a, from a, you know, a community outreach perspective. Um, and then any email that came through, any opportunity that came through, I took it. And having a good relationship with a person who you're volunteering for is immense. That, that helped significantly because then that person was advocating for me. So, you know, he even offered like, you know, we were only there for just over a year. But during that period, he offered and said, look, there's also these coaching licenses. Would you like to, take, you know, do some of your, some of the C licenses? I said, yes. Um, I didn't get to, but I, I put my hand up for it. He was also, you know, willing to say, would you like to also do coaching for um, people, you know, um, in need participants? So people who had disabilities because he has a specific license for that. So that was how I started to really, you know, leveraging the opportunity is probably not the right word to say, but it was, it's, it was reciprocated. You know, the hard work and, and the building a good relationship, it was reciprocated and rewarded. Um, what I didn't expect, though, I didn't expect that, and I think this is where you got to take advantage of it a bit more, is you're one, when you're there, you're part of the internal comms, so you're in that circle. I actually didn't expect to also be receiving comms from head office because the foundations are usually separate so when there was the incident with the fans in paris with with the uh the person at the, at the tube station we got called in and there was a com there was a piece of comms that went out about you know if you're contacted by the media etc this is how you um you know don't this is what you're supposed to do is what you're not supposed to do report this so so you're on the internal comms and then all of a sudden you're receiving job ads because you're part of the internal comms. I was like, oh, wow. And then I just knew it was a matter of time. Just keep working, keep learning, um, be grateful, reciprocate. Um, you know, someone's giving you an opportunity. So, you know, you just go in there, you give it your all, even if nothing comes out of it. And just wait for that opportunity to come and just keep, you know, practicing, keep honing the skills. And then eventually um, you start seeing a coordinator role coming into the accounting in, in the finance team. And you're going, okay, I think it's just going to be a matter of time because now I know why by the time I applied on an ad that was put on LinkedIn or wherever, now I know why I like it was too late. It's because it's going circulating internally. And then God knows who they're passing on to their friends and so forth. So I started to get um, I started to get the job ads early. And that's what changed everything for me. But um, not to kind of go long-winded, but one of the one of the roles was that when I say you put your hand up. If whatever they needed, I did. And I started started to do volunteering and then I started to get paid work eventually. So we need somebody to go down to a tube station with the uh, membership team and do membership drives. We need somebody to go out with the marketing team and so forth. And it's paid work, but you're, you're doing it. So you got to be willing to do it. And then through that, you just start networking, meeting different people. And it was really funny because some of the people that, you know, you try to connect on LinkedIn and so forth, but some of the people that wouldn't accept the... Um, that wouldn't accept the the invite. You're all of a sudden talking to face to face in a in a work environment. They don't know you. They don't remember you, obviously, because they probably get a thousand requests. And then all of a sudden, you're connected and and you're talking. You're talking to the marketing team. You're talking to the hospitality business development. And then that was it. And it's just a matter of time. So that's the best way you can leverage an opportunity. There's my essay. 
(laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that bit at the end about anything that they put in front of you, you did, because one of the things that I think was awesome from what you just talked about um, and really clear was your attitude the entire time you were there. I think you could have easily been forgiven as a 29-year-old in London to just enjoy the London experience. And I was almost inclined to ask if you felt like you had to sacrifice anything to to volunteer, but it sounds like you just were a kid in a candy shop the entire time. I I think the attitude that you took to make the most of that experience is is absolutely awesome. Yeah, I was a kid in a candy shop. And to be honest, I was very, very fortunate because the schedule did it was really kind of complimentary to, you know, my nine to five, you know, you still enjoyed it. You still enjoyed the London life. You still traveled. Like it's, you know, only a few quid to be able to get a return ticket to Paris or Amsterdam and you're gone for the weekend and back. But, um, you do, you you still do make the most of the opportunity, but, um, yeah, no, you, if you are really passionate about it and you are where you're meant to be, it doesn't feel like work at all. So eventually after the London experience, obviously an amazing time that you had, you, you moved back to Australia and obviously you had to, had to get back into work once you, once you arrived. How did you approach this and did you call on any old contacts or did you secure a role before you, you got back? So I didn't really have anything lined up. I called upon um, existing contacts. So as soon as I landed, I reached out to to a few people and I was able to kind of pick up some contract work in the meantime. Yeah, I will never, <laughs> I will never forget though, the last, it, was, it wasn't really volunteering, it was, one, it was a paid one, but the last one that I put my hand up for with the foundation, I, I met a couple of people from the hospitality, the corporate hospitality team. I can't remember which station we were at, but we were in East London and they drove in, I caught the tube in and they offered me a lift back. So we're going to take some equipment back to Stamford Bridge. And, you know, from there, I was just going to, you know, go home and met them and everything. And um, they said, oh, it's nice to meet you and so forth, blah, blah, blah. We just uh, really had a, we were just really just talking, just shooting the breeze. And they go, um, so, you know, what's, what's your story? What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm actually, you know, here for this long. I'm going back home. And I'll never forget what the, what the guy said to me. And he goes, ah. Just when you've met all of, like, just when you've, you know, made the contacts. And he, he knew it. Like, he goes, just when you made the contacts. And I was like, well, and that kind of cut me a little bit because I was like, ah, oh, yes, I know. I know I'm cutting it to go back. I know I'm starting to make progress. I know it. I know it. So it was, um, it was, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a thing that when I came back, I actually had the intention, I was ready to just kind of let that go and just kind of commit a little bit more into whichever sector it was into digital marketing. So when I came back, reached out to a contact, started a contract role at an agency, and then I, I just I forgot about football. I just let it go completely. Carla, we love to learn about some of the ins and outs of different sporting bodies. What was the interview process like for you at the FFA? Quick. It was surprisingly very quick. So... My wife actually, she showed me the job ad and um, I said before, like at that stage, I was quite content. I was at an agency. I was really happy doing some great work um, and I just didn't want to think about it. And then the job ad came by. My wife showed it to me and I was like, no, no, I think I'm done. I'm ready to kind of let go. I'm content. Um, And then a few weeks later, I saw that the job ad was still, it was still up. And so... I just applied, you know, I changed, I changed up my CV. I updated it. I just applied the next day. I got a phone call. 
Two days later, I went in for an interview, first round interview, who was the head of um, the department at that time. And it was, a, you know, I, it was, we had really good rapport. We spoke football, spoke about, you know, a lot of different kind of kind of passions and ideas about, you know, football, spoke about, you know, our, you know, marketing. It was really just a good conversation. Left that. A day later, got another phone call. Want to book in round two interviews. And I'm like, okay, we're getting some traction here. This time, though, because the role at that time was to um, start looking at, you know, really driving that digital marketing side of side of the business, but also, you know, working with the commercial team and selling. So it wasn't just the head of at that time. It was also the, per- the general manager of, um, you know, commercial. Um, you met with the head of the digital agency at that time as well. And then you're, you're kind of sitting in a room. And I think this is probably the, the goes back to that agency experience. You're sitting there with three different people who have three different interests and you have to have three different conversations at the same time. So you're having a conversation with you know a potential future boss who's trying to see is he a good cultural fit? How does he hold himself? You know how does he work under pressure and so forth? Then you're talking to the digital agency, so they're grilling you on you know your digital marketing expertise or that you know that's digital media expertise, and then they're also a potential vendor. So and then you're speaking to a commercial person, so you're speaking three things, like, and you you can see it where you know you're talking tech. And then the commercial person's eyes are rolling over because they're just, that's not their language. Then you got to kind of bring that conversation back. So that was a bit of an interesting balancing act between, you know, those, that three. I think the one part in that process was um, just how it was left. You know, I don't really remember too much about what was said. It was a bit, a bit of time ago, but I do remember how it was left. It was left on a real positive note in terms of like, um, you know, we'll come back to you and we'll let you know. So that whole process was two weeks and it was it was only like a couple of days later after that that I got the phone call so you know I was really surprised of how quick that was but I do remember that the interviews they they were very um scenario driven and it was a lot of scenarios thrown at you and you know I had enough experience with with dealing with you know um you know clients that are really putting a lot of you know investment into your your service to be able to then speak to senior stakeholders and you know you learn that it's okay to say you don't know an answer so that was an interesting process where you're you know ultimately selling yourself but yet at the same time you know you it's you're both kind of interviewing each other so i kind of i felt that that process at the ffa was really really good it didn't feel like you know and some interviews I've been in, it's just been like a box ticking exercise. And so that felt like a conversation. It, it felt really organic um, and it felt seamless. And then eventually, you know, you landed the role and then you signed the contract, put in your resignation. All in all, the interview process was really, really quick. Two weeks, if that. We refer back to one of our first interviews on the video Um format of the sports crowd podcast with a uh, Jim Kayla from the USA. And one of the bits of advice that he shared was, you know, the success of an interview is almost driven on how well you can turn it into a conversation. And I think when you're truly in a place where you're meant to be and you're surrounded by your people, that conversation is going to flow naturally and it's going to serve you extremely well. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I um, agree with that wholeheartedly. There's some realities too, you know, you go into a place, you have different personalities, you know, not everybody is, you know, um, not everybody's going to be as passionate as you are. Some people, it's just a job, but um, 
I was lucky in that sense that the person who, you know, was the head of and was interviewing was, um, yeah, you can see genuinely that person, you know, really loved football and cared and, um, you know, had ambitions in their career. And you just was able to kind of build rapport and relate. And um, I've had interviews where I've sat there and it was just, um, that person couldn't get anything out of me and I just couldn't get anything out of that person. You know, it it is what it is, but um, it does help. It's also a good sign for you as an interviewee. You know, you're going to go and you're going to work. You've got no idea, you know, what the culture's like in, in the organization. So that's usually your first touch point too. So it's a good indication of, you know, the people you're going to work with potentially. And that's really important too. It's, you know, you, a lot of the emphasis, particularly when you're young, you know, you feel like, you know, you're being interviewed, you're being grilled and so forth. Like you got to also consider that, you know, you're going to go into this role too. You, it's going to be a part, big part of your, your day-to-day, you know, a big chunk of your day for a long time. I like what you said about being able to answer a, a question by saying you don't know. There's so much emphasis on an, on an interview about selling yourself and, and being right and being able to answer every single question perfectly. One of the one of the things that I think above it all else is, is important in an interview is that honesty. And it's like, you know, if you don't know something, then, you know, there's, there's no point pretending like you know. You may as well be honest and say, look, I don't know, but perhaps I can share this. And I think that will sound better than sounding like you're pretending like you know and um, you'll be quickly sort of found out, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And it's uh... – <laughs> It's, uh, I've interviewed a few people as well, and it's funny because you have some senior people and they're always trying to answer again. And you have like a real young candidate who just says, look, I don't know, and just says exactly what you did, but this is how I'd go about finding, figuring out the problem. And you're like, wow, like a young kid has a little bit more kind of maturity than, than some people are a bit more senior and have a bit more experience. But um, again, it just goes back to that, um, you know, just working with, in agencies, it's okay. Like, You'd say, especially when you, you know, the agency I was at before was a performance-based marketing agency. So you're doing e-commerce, you know, retail ROI campaigns. There's nowhere to hide. You can't fluff it. You can't <laughs> sugarcoat it. The number, if if the if the return on investment is not there, it's not there. What are you going to say? So, and I think this is um, when I think there was a one question where you said about you know the experience did it help. It's actually the people along the way that you meet, you know, that then help. And the, my manager at the last job I was at, one thing he said to me was like, you know, it's okay to, to send the client a report and say to them that something didn't work. Then they're not going to crucify you. You know, you haven't blown millions of dollars. It's, it's, a, it's just a result that didn't, didn't quite hit. It's not about that. You start learning about what it's the management, the management side of the, the conversation. It's actually like this didn't work, but for this reason, and then this is the solu- actionable insight, and this is what we recommend for next time. This is what we already have in, in plan. So you start knowing that it's fine not to know the answer. It's just about you know how what are you going to do then about you know the next steps and so forth. So after time when you're in an interview, it's they just want to see. How do you compose yourself? How do you go about being able to, you know, when your foot's on the fire, sometimes they'll just throw scenarios at you and um, they just want to see how you'd react and whether you can actually, are you pragmatic? Do you kind of, do you wear your anxiety on your face? Um, and that's that's also what the interviewers are looking for. 
There are plenty of hot tips in that for for students to adopt very quickly. Um, Where were you and uh, who were you with and how did you react when you got the call to say that you were successful for the FFA job? I was on my own. I was in the car driving home from my other job and I was expecting to get a phone call. This is on a Friday for quarter to 5, 5pm. I get the phone call. I know exactly where I was. I was on the corner just two traffic lights away from home. And um, I was expecting to get the call from the, um, the human resource uh, manager. And I ended up getting a call from the head of, and the person said, you know, I want to call you myself. And I want to tell you that we'd like to offer you the job. And I was in shock. I just didn't know what to say. And I think he was expecting me to kind of be like, oh my God, I'm so happy. I can't believe it. I, I was just in shock. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh man. And I, I just didn't know. I was just shocked because that was at that stage, I was 31, 32. So I was 21. So it's 10 years and then some that I let go two, three years, two years ago. I uh, wasn't, that was done with it. I was like, yep, it's time to move on. Like it's, it's not going to happen by now. So forth. And it was just, I was just in complete shock. So I think he was, <laughs> I think he was expecting me to be jumping up and down on the other, other, other like probably hear me on the other side of the phone. But um, I just was in shock. And I just said to him, I just, I just don't know what to say. Like, I can't believe it. Like I have no words. And then he said, this is the offer and so forth. And then being the responsible um husband that I was at that time I said I have to speak to my wife and just let her know and so forth and then can I give you my answer and so and you know by this day he's like yes please do no worries I went told my wife and then called back and said yes I'll expect the role I accept the role and then I um, went in signed the contract and that was it and uh, I was yeah from then I think it was just um, rose-colored glasses for a while and you're in the honeymoon period I just you know you're sitting in the office and then you can't believe it and everything's so pretty, but you don't, you know, and then slowly, slowly you start seeing the realities of what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, no, it was good. It was nice to, I've only worked, a, a, there's been a handful of jobs, like, I mean, less than that, that when I was in the job that, you know, you wholeheartedly, you know, are passionate and believe in what you're doing. Um, this was one of them. But I mean, again, it's, it's like any other job in the end of the day. You know, it's a job and then over time you start, seeing the kind of the realities that come along with it and the challenges. But um, if you don't have that, you know, that passion and if you don't have that kind of drive, you, you, would, you wouldn't have the, I guess, the armor, that thick skin, you know, to be able to push through some of the challenges that if you were to experience it in any other job, you'd probably be like, yep, here's my resignation, I'm out. Um, it's you're working because you, you love the code and you want the code to succeed and you want the code to thrive. Phenomenal. I think based on your passion and, and your narrow focus, that might be one of the best responses that we've had to that question. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. When you're, when you're um, I think times have kind of changed. I think now being married with two kids, I think your priorities do change, your perspective changes. But um, when you're a young sports grad, it's, you know, you, you approach things with a idealistic uh, mindset. What, uh, obviously, you've been with the FFA for, is it three years now? Yeah, three, three and a half, four, four years in February, so three, just over three and a half years. So, what what do you think, what are you most proud of about your time with the FFA so far? 
in terms of projects and stuff and work that we've delivered, d- recently with um, everything that's happening with COVID, just looking at some of the stuff that we've delivered with Socceroos and having an opportunity to kind of do that, um, the stories that we've been able to kind of tell in the past and some of the the work that you put out and you can see the reactions and the, the, the emotions that people have. I, I think that's been some of the stuff that I've been most proudest of. Um, you know, mentioned before, like storytelling, like you're, we're essentially selling an emotion here. Um, and it's, you know, football, it's a passionate business and a lot of people are very emotional and you can just, um, and when you put a piece of work in, you can see it in the reactions and the receptions that people have. And a couple of the stuff that we did was, you know, the 05 reliving it and a lot of the, um, classic matches did a piece, um, did a piece with, you know, um, Brett and Speed and Martin Tyler. I always use this example at work. Uh, um, but that's been one of, the, one of the ones that I'm being most proudest of, I think, because Speedy wasn't expecting to um, – he wasn't expecting anything. We we held on to that Martin Tyler interview for three months before we got a chance to actually interview um, Speedy, and then we held on to it for another three months before we released it. So to be able to hold on to something like that and then be able to deliver it and just – when you say, like – passion and what it means like being so being the one to conduct that interview and knowing that you're just leading this person on to eventually deliver that emotional punch and then to see his reaction and then when the camera cuts just the you know the thank you and so forth but just to see like that a person received the message you know that person's whole career is commentary and then to receive a message for someone that they you know that's a that's just massive that's and to be part of that and to do that that was imagine that was really it'd be really hard because you're caught up in that emotion and you and you just don't know what to say because the person's you know <laughs> crying in front of you you just don't know what to say i'm not a journalist i'm not a into like you know I, we were just doing that work because the, i was so close to it and i had the the footage so i had to kind of see the id through that was one definitely proud of but in terms of was that um was that after the uh, Riley McGree Scorpion kick that Brenton Speed That's commentated? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So, the way that yep. came about was... I remember that fondly. <laughs> the so Scorpion. We were, mate. Oh, that's some crazy. Yeah, you, mate, you forget that you've had some, some matches where that was there. We were at that match. Um, the way that kind of came about was we were... We're working on the A-League and then at the same time, because we, serv- we were shared service at that time, we we're also working on, you know, the World Cup. And then, you know, we were able to kind of um, um, interview Martin Tyler. And the strategy at that time was we wanted to get, tap into the global football community, get a lot of people that people, um, a lot of people who fans respected to shine the light on, you know, the Socceroos and the Australian football history. And Martin Tyler was one of them. And then when we sent Martin the question. I just asked, said, by the way, did you manage to see the Riley McGree Scorpion kick? And he goes, yes, I did. I said, do you mind if we ask you some questions about it? He goes, sure. And then, um, you know, that we had a team in London we reached, um, who then went and they filmed Martin. Um, and they captured his response. I wasn't expecting him to say that because I didn't know that he actually, um, he, he in the interview, he, he called out, he said, Brenton did a phenomenal job. And I didn't know till later that he, he's, he met Brenton before in the past. So it, it was something that evolved organically. So it was nice to kind of be a part of that. But it was funny when you say that because then Martin was like, oh, looking forward to you coming. I'll put the, 
the kettle of tea on. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm actually in Australia. I'm going to send somebody else. And then <laughs> all the B-roll, all the B-roll is of Martin Tyler um, making tea and talking to all the books he has on his bookshelf. <laughs> it was like, that would have been something. Man. The um, In terms of tone, so that was a real emotional one. But in terms of like a lighthearted, a bit more fun tone, one of the most enjoyable videos was um, – one of the most enjoyable videos was we did we I don't know if you guys know the uh, Mr. Raw, the not bad good size guy. Oh yes, the Western Sydney fan. Yeah, so that was another one that we that we worked <laughs> with. Uh, that was it, awesome. I do remember that. <laughs> that was um, it. Just came from a comment from a couple of people in the office when that fad broke out. There was a few people just going, "We should just do something with that person," and then like. It was like, yeah, we should just do something with that person. Reach out to the club. Is like, what do you think? Is it a good fit? And so forth. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Everything's good. Go for it. And then we'll, we just couldn't re- we just couldn't um, put something out in time. We we're just gonna do like take the audio and maybe overlay it with a whole bunch of you know footage and there was all different ideas. But um, we just couldn't find the person. We couldn't find him on Instagram. Couldn't find him anywhere. We're like, what's this guy's name? Because his account <laughs> name was different to, you know, he's known as a not bad, good size guy, but his account name was something else. <laughs> Man, I'm going on some tangency. I'm telling some stories. So, <laughs> no, this is awesome. Um, it relates to being proud, so it's good. <laughs> uh, it's the, the theme of proud. Yeah. Um, he, I was on the train home. And there was, like, I was sitting next to a tradie and he was on his phone and all I could hear was, I was like hearing, it wasn't, it was the guy's voice. I could hear it. He wasn't saying not bad good size. He was just saying a bunch of stuff. And I was like, I was like, excuse me. He's like, yeah. I said, is that the not bad good size guy? He goes, yeah, it is. I was like, <laughs> you're kidding. You? I go, what are you, what are you watching? He goes, I'm watching his Snapchat. <laughs> That's how you found him. No, yeah. He goes, I'm watching his Snapchat account. And I said, oh, cool. So I just pulled out my phone, scanned the bar. I got the account, messaged him. I said, I work for the Federation. I want to kind of do some stuff. He got an ID. And then he goes, yeah, spoke to him on the phone. Not a problem. It was delayed a little bit. And then eventually there was a Sydney Derby. And they were like, um, got the approval from the Wanderers. to say, look, how comfortable would you feel again? We're going to, this time, we're actually going to get him to just go and experience a match day. And the rest was, yeah, it was, it was the funniest person to work with he he, he was he was so recognized I, I have never seen so many people go up to an individual like that like <laughs> he, he was recognized and like the and you couldn't write the script the fact that wonder is one and it was a you know packed stadium and you know we got to pull him down onto pitch side after the mat meet jojoski and jojoski knew who he was um, like everything started coming together, but my favorite part of that is with the RBB. Like we were just filming him on the side of the street while the RBB is coming, and then one of the members of the RBB at the front, who's leading the march, recognized him, ran up to him. Like, it's in the video; you can see. I'm like, we just might as well just watch the video. I mean, he goes, "Hey, not bad, good size," and dragged him in, and we we're just standing there going. Like, well, where's where he's gone? Like, he was in the middle of like talking to the camera. Like, he's gone, and then he came out. He, so it's for him. He was that was also his first experience too. So he was experiencing a Sydney derby, experiencing Bankwest, everything for the first time, and you get to kind of capture that. Um, but the one other one I would say though is like you get to be, you get to, it's really weird, but you get to experience some really good moments with some really good people. So Tim Cahill's 
last match. Um, there's a couple of guys that one of them was my direct report, the other one's the media manager, and you're just hanging back and you're just watching Tim Cahill sign all these autographs and you're kind of part of that. There's just a lot of great moments. Honduras, you get to be a kind of a lot of it. So some of it is some individual moments that you're proud of. And I think for me, most of it is actually just, you know, because you're managing a team. It's also being proud of, you know, the direct reports that you have and seeing them kind of grow and develop and the, the work that they produce too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can go on and on, man. If you got hours, dude. <laughs> Maybe another time. I'm, I'm enjoying this way too much. I know just as a football fan, just feel grateful for the, the content that you do put out because for myself, was lucky enough to be at that match in 2005 but hadn't seen the broadcast ever until my life until you guys put it out live on Facebook. And so I sat down on, I think it was a Tuesday night and watched the entire match and noticed things that I'd never seen before and got to relive the entire experience all over again. So you guys are doing an awesome job. Just finally, we like to ask this question to our guests, given the current climate and the tough situation that students are going through at the moment, looking for new opportunities when everything's relatively closed off. If you could put yourself in the the shoes of a student now, what would you do to continue to progress your career to allow yourself to continue to develop at the moment? It's a tough one because of um, you know a lot of the restrictions. It's it's really really hard. If look, if I was a student and I was studying, I'd really be. Um, you'd offer yourself obviously to volunteer, whatever shape way perform, but just look at look at how the industries are going to be changing, you know, start looking at what, how kind of COVID impacted a lot of different industries, start looking at a bit more on a macro level, start seeing the skill sets that were seen as essential, particularly within an office environment and start building those skill sets. Um, You know, you're a student, you're fortunate, you're still studying. If you, if I was a student at the moment, that's what I would be doing. I'd be um, just looking at, oh, there's a lot of courses, there's a lot of kind of tutorials, everything's really coming at a discount. Just start honing some of those practical skills a bit more, but um, just learn, just keep learning and just keep looking at how things kind of change and watch, you know, right now you can see Victoria kind of shutting down a lot of, um, you know, grassroots sports kind of stuff. So a lot of the opportunities that someone in sports would normally have and be able to kind of go and network, you know, there's some companies that their staffs are stood down. So it's, it's hard to kind of say what the students should, should specifically do in a sense to go and network and meet people and so forth where people are, you know, some people are stood down, some people in part-time capacity trying to work. You just got to kind of know when the timing is right to then go and start putting yourself forward. So right now is just really prepare, keep watching the market, keep watching, um, you know, how different states and how we kind of start transitioning back over what period, like we're still not through it. That would be my my advice. And then when the, op- the timing is right, the opportunity is there, then go. But wherever there's a grassroots club and they're still playing and they still need volunteers and they still need people to work, go and work. I mean, be careful. Don't do it. Obviously, you know, you've got to be very, very careful in the current climate. They're, and even as some grassroots or some, they're all got to be really set to be COVID safe. But, you know, start looking for those opportunities. Just don't, it's not going to come waiting for you. So that's the one thing. And, and me, I remember when I, when I was a student at university, my frustrations were just doing the standard. I applied on LinkedIn, or, or, but not back then, but back, I applied on Seek. 
and I didn't get the job. Oh, what's going on? And it wasn't until I started to be more proactive and going out there. And then that's that's what I would say. That's what would be my advice. Well, that's some really good advice. And I think it is extremely hard given the current climate, but as long as you can kind of put yourself out there and, and have a go and if you look for any opportunity that's possibly there, I think it's the best you can you can do at the moment. So I just got one thing I just wanted to kind of say because you're talking about volunteers. I've actually had a few volunteers come in to the FFA and actually work in our department. Is it okay if I kind of say the qualities that, you know, um, that I kind of saw and I thought were really, really good to have as a volunteer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There was there's been two in particular. I won't name their names, but there was two in particular that really stood out for me. But one of them was one that just got floated around as a circular within um, – within the federation and says, look, does anybody need um, an intern? This person's been kind of put forward for a contact. And then we, we took that person up. Um, there's been, there's been volunteers who've come in and, you know, you kind of test them out. Are they a good cultural fit and so forth? So, you know, that's the stuff that we look for is, are they a good cultural fit? What's their, not necessarily personality, but what kind of character do they have? Are they willing to kind of work and are they going to put it in? Um, this particular intern just came in and whatever we gave them, that person worked. There's been interns in the past. They came in, they did a little bit of the, you know, the, the unattractive tasks, go and scan these photos. <laughs> um, and, and, but this person in particular just did, did worked and worked and worked. And then the opportunity was there and that person was there. And then we offered them some paid internships and paid roles, you know, paid work and they did it. And then, that was like a quality that kind of stood out for me. But there was one that recently kind of came in. This is pre-COVID. And whatever the person was just eager, whatever job, whatever it was. And the person was like, I'd go to match day and I'll be like a, you know, match day volunteer. I'll go wherever and go to do that. Um, but it was the, it was the, the, the stakeholder management piece was a key part too. And one of those volunteers just, made there's just was willing not just to take on stuff but just understood and just got how the kind of the office environment was you know that person came in listened learned and um, was always willing to just kind of grow and develop and contribute and then they had a really good some people are just a little bit in their own worlds this person kind of saw things the bigger picture and saw things as a whole and those were some of the qualities that I, I, I noticed. And then I noticed that this is why they were quite successful. And then they were able to go get, you know, work elsewhere and so forth. So they're the kind of qualities. It's, it's just, I think you got to kind of, if you're a student and you're kind of going out there, you, it's these kind of central sort of character traits that an individual has. It's empathy, it's mindfulness, you know, your ability to listen ability to you know your stakeholder management it's these fundamental skill sets that then make you more marketable so start identifying these uh, these what these skill these you know fundamentals these universal skill sets are it's project management time management you know stakeholder management you know there's some very specific skill sets photography you know digital you know google adwords google analytics and all that stuff and you can and you can learn those and that's the work but there's these universal skill sets that no matter what role you go into, you have to have. And, you know, as a student, when you go in and you don't have the experience in your field just yet, that stuff there is the things that stand out. And I've seen people that are, you know, juniors that are, you know, 
early 20s, mid 20s who outshine people that are 10, 15 years older than them because they've got that, not just the right attitude, the can-do attitude, they've got that maturity to be able to do manage a project, manage a task, see it through, be responsive, manage a workload. That there as a manager, I can't tell you how much that's a relief and how much load it takes off of you know a, a manager's shoulders. And that there is something that you know that if you got those fundamental skill sets, you can teach someone the craft, but you can't teach them those fundamentals. Well, it, if I was a student, I'd probably have my notepad out for that for that last question because <laughs> right there is uh, is your one hundred and one to landing a role from a volunteer opportunity. So I think some awesome points there, Carlo. We'll probably have to leave it there. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I think your passion for for football in particular is absolutely incredible and uh, we could probably sit here and and listen to you talk for the whole night. Unfortunately, we can't do that. But absolutely respect to you for your passion for the sport and your drive to to get involved in football as a career. So a credit to you and thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having guys. That's all from us. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Sports Grad Podcast. A reminder to subscribe, rate and review. Uh, Give us a like on Instagram as well. We really appreciate it. It means so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Sports Grad Podcast. If you need help with your sports career, head to sportsgrad.com.au and download our free ebook today. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a tag on socials at sportsgrad. 